Amen. Would you remain standing and we'll give attention to our passage this morning, which is in James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. The word of God to you today. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. God's word to you today. You can be seated. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Great to see all of you here at South Park. For those of you watching online, we're grateful to have you joining us today as we continue in our study of the book of James. And I wanna invite you, if you have a copy of the scriptures to open to the book of James, or if you have it on your phone to, uh, to turn it on and turn over to chapter one. And we'll be looking at verses five through eight specifically as we continue in our study of this incredible letter that James wrote to his little flock that was scattered all around. James is known, the book of James is known as the Proverbs of the New Testament. Have you ever heard that before? James is known as the Proverbs of the New Testament. And the Proverbs were a collection of poems that were written by Solomon, who was known as the wisest man in the world. And so he collected his wisdom and gave it to the Hebrew community on how to live out their faith. And so the Proverbs, just like James, became this instructional manual of how to take your faith, your real faith in a real God, and live it out in a real world with real problems. Anybody with me? And remember that there's three major categories or coat hangers, if you will, for the scriptures. And if you're taking some notes, maybe you wanna write this down or just jot it down on your phone. As you look at the scriptures, there's 66 books in the Bible, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. And as you think about the categories or again, coat hangers uh, of the Old Testament and New Testament, there's three. And they're the same for the old and the new. Foundational is the first coat hanger, if you will. That's the first category of the scriptures. And both the Old Testament and the New Testament have foundational books. Then there's historical books. That's the second coat hanger. And then of course, instructional books. And again, both the Old Testament and the New Testament are divided into these three categories. And if you open the scriptures and you're studying the book of the Bible like we are, it's really important to know the context of what you're looking at and the primary reason that the author wrote it. Now, it doesn't mean that instructional books like James don't have some history in it or some foundational material. What it means is their primary aim is to, to uh, impart one of these three categories. So for instance, again, if you're taking notes, the Old Testament, the foundational books we this last week are the Pentateuch. Now, Penta means five, Tuch means book in the Hebrew. So the, the law of Moses, the first five books of the Hebrew Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Those were the foundations that the community of God, Israel, was built upon. And then the historical materials, there's 12 historical books in the Old Testament, from Joshua through Esther, are the collection of the stories of how the people of God lived out the foundations in a real time and real place in real history. 
And then the instructions are in the Old Testament, the prophets and the poets, of which there's 22 books, prophets and poetry. There's five poetry books, which Proverbs is included in, and 17 prophetical books, minor and major prophets. And the prophets and the poets are amplifying the history, the story of God, as the people of God are living out the foundations of who he is and living that out in a real world with real problems and real struggles. And guess what? Here's the great thing. In the New Testament, the same is true. So in the Old Testament, you got foundational books, five of them. You got historical books, there's 12 of them. And then you got 22 instructional books, and that makes 39. Okay, I'm doing public math here, so somebody check me on that. In the New Testament, you got 27 books. Again, just a way to understand how the, the scriptures are, are, are categorized and laid out, which is really important as we're studying the Bible for context. What are our foundational books in the New Testament? There's four of them. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're selected biographies of who Jesus is. Now remember, John said, if we included all the works and the stories of Jesus, there's not enough books in the world that can contain them. Isn't that really amazing to think about and imagine all the stories and things that Jesus taught and accomplished? What we have in the Gospels through the power of the Holy Spirit and his inspiration are a selected biography for us, curated material to know who Jesus is, know what the gospel is, the good news of Jesus, what he's come here to do, and then instructing us on how to live that out, which moves us into the historical context. There's one historical book in the New Testament. You remember what it is? Acts. And remember, Luke wrote the gospel of Luke that carries his name and Acts as one book together. The first, you know, Luke is the, again, the biography, the selected biography of who is Jesus, what is the gospel. And then the history is the, the history of the first century Christian church. So how did they begin to live this out in a real time and real place in real history? Luke was a first rate historian. And he's writing down times and places. And when you read the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, you'll see places and and times and kings and geography because it was a real story lived out in real time. And then you have 22, check my math on this, 22 instructional books in the New Testament. You got four foundational books, one historical book, which leaves 22 to get to 27, 22 instructional books. Again, amplifying the story and history and the foundations of the gospel. This is really important. I hope you'll never forget it because as you study the Bible throughout your life and you can have those three categories, when you open a book of the Bible or you're studying it, you can know, is this a instructional book? Is it an historical book? Is it a foundational book? And again, there's material found in all of them, but they each have a primary aim. Now, what are, back to Proverbs and James and how they mirror one another. What are both Proverbs and James? What category are they in? Instructional. They're both instructional books. Now, what does that tell us? That both James and Solomon are trying to speak to their audience about how to live out the foundations in real history. That includes real trouble and real problems. And so our bottom line for the whole series and our study of James has been this question, how do I get through what I'm going through? James and Proverbs are are a how-to book. Doesn't mean there's not foundational material or historical material, but primarily their aim is to instruct people just like us about how to get through what they're going through. And what's really interesting in the context of our passage today, again, if you want to just write it down, James 1, 5 through 8, the preceding passage that we covered last week, James 1, 2 through 4, sets up this uh, story and this understanding instruction about wisdom 
Uh, in fact, Solomon said it this way. He said in Proverbs 16, 16, how much better to get wisdom, listen to this, how much better to get wisdom than gold, if only that were true in our culture, and good judgment than silver. In other words, the most precious commodity is wisdom. And we'll get to what is wisdom from a biblical understanding in just a moment. But Solomon sets up his whole poetry, his collection of poetry by, by really saying thematically, you need wisdom more than anything else in the world. And it should be your greatest aim to collect wisdom. Now here's the trouble, everyone watch this. James sets up the, the precursor for understanding and receiving wisdom in our context of the scripture. And he says, basically trouble and confusion are, are, are cousins. They come from the same family. And it's in confusion and trouble and difficulty when you're wondering how am I gonna get through what I'm going through that somehow it begins to posture your heart to receive wisdom. Let me say it a different way. Trouble is the price of admission for wisdom. So basically what James says in the context of his passage is, count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you encounter trouble, for you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full course because when endurance you know, is stretched out and you become stronger and stronger and stronger in your faith, you'll be mature and complete and lacking in nothing. And then he goes straight into the section about wisdom. And what does that tell us? That when we're in trouble, when we're encountering difficulty in our life, and you don't need to raise your hand, but how many of you are in trouble right now? We talked about last week, you're either in trouble, you're coming out of trouble, or you're getting ready to go into trouble. And James says, count it all joy, that Christians experience difficulty and trouble differently than the world. And we actually see it differently. Our perspective has changed because we know that when we're pressed on every side, when things are coming at us relationally, financially, emotionally, all over, we know that the pressing, the testing of our faith produces a stronger faith. And the stronger faith we have, the more receptive we are in our posture to receiving wisdom from above, which Solomon reminds us is more precious than silver, it's more precious than gold. But we need to understand that confusion oftentimes comes with trouble. When we're standing at the crossroads in our life trying to make a decision, and some of you are right now, should I go left or should I go right? Should I move here or should I stay here? Should I take this job? Should I take that job? Should I you know, be with this person? Should I be with that person? Should I date? Should I not date? All these different decisions that you need to make, that you need wisdom on. And oftentimes when we're at the crossroad of our life and we have to make a decision one or two ways or three ways or four ways or five ways, we get what? We get confused. And so James comes in with this passage and he says, I know trouble is gonna lead you to a place where you feel confused. And remember, he's writing to a real group of people just like us that he knew he was pastoring and they had been dispersed from Jerusalem because of persecution from the Jews and the Romans. And so they're having to rebuild their lives in Gentile places and foreign places, starting new businesses, starting new lives together. They're confused. And James says, count it all joy because you're in trouble right now because guess what? Trouble is the admission price for wisdom. And you're getting ready to become even more wise. Vance Havner, the great preacher, said it this way. If you need knowledge, go to school. If you need wisdom, get on your knees. Posture yourself in a place of saying, God, I, I can't. But you can. And I think I'll let you. Trouble has a way of 
prying open our hands, doesn't it? And coming to God and saying, I need you. I've tried everything. I I can't clever my way out of this. I can't work my way out of this. I can't discipline my way out of this. I need you, God, and I need your wisdom. So what is wisdom? From a biblical perspective, what is wisdom? James says, wisdom is the intersection of knowledge and practice. It's kingdom street smarts. It's being able to navigate a broken world with the glory and the knowledge and understanding of God. It's, as James said in James 1, it's not just being a listener of the word, it's being what? A doer of the word. In fact, let me read it to you. Don't just listen to God's word. We'll get to this passage in a couple of weeks, James 1, Don't just listen to God's word. You gotta do it. You gotta put it into practice. You gotta take knowledge and put it into practice. You gotta live it out. Uh, orthodoxy has to become orthopraxy. Doctrine has to become ethic. What I believe in my head and my heart comes out in my hands. Lots of different ways to say it. James says, you, you gotta live this out. If you believe it, it's gonna come out and, what you, and, and how you live, how you speak, how you think about God, yourself and other people. So he says, don't just listen to God's word, do what it says. And look at the, uh, listen to the final sentence here, James 1.22. Go back and look at this this week. He says, otherwise you're only fooling yourself. If you don't uh, take God's word, what you're listening, the knowledge, the understanding, and put it into practice, the intersection of knowledge and practice, you're only fooling yourself. Everybody else knows it around you, that you don't really believe what you say you believe because you're not putting it into practice. Now, for many of us, we default on one side or the other of this intersection. We're knowledge people. Like, I just want to know. And we live in a world right now, right, that just wants to consume information and knowledge. I just want more and more information. I just want more and more knowledge. And I think about the first disciples, right, when Jesus called them. And there was no orientation class. You know, they could have rightfully said, isn't there like a a 101, 201, 301, don't we need like some training, right? Isn't there a class we can go to, some more information, right? And Jesus says, no, come, come follow me. And then others of us, we default on the doing side. We just constantly wanna do things. We wanna put it into practice, but we never stop long enough to be still and receive knowledge and understanding from God. So wisdom is this sacred intersection between knowledge, which is so important, and practice. And James says, this is the place that God wants you to live. If I'm just a knowledge person, I sit at the gas station, uh, refilling my car, my brain, and I never leave the gas station. I just buy the car and go park at QT. And I just, I just, you know, I'm just constantly filling the tank up. It's just sort of like inhaling and exhaling the way that God made us. If you just keep taking breaths, which let's practice that for a second. Just everyone take a deep breath. Okay, take another one. Another one, another one, another one. You can't do it. You have to exhale. So I inhale the goodness and the knowledge of God. Who are you, Jesus? And I exhale his glory into the world. And it's the sacred intersection of receiving who Jesus is, his knowledge, his understanding, all the glories of God, but also letting my light shine before the world that they see my good works and acknowledge and glorify my Father in heaven. I'm receiving and I'm giving. That's what wisdom is. 
And again, this amazing, amazing call that Jesus has on each of our lives to see him for who he is, to find him for who he really is, and then to follow after him, to help other people find and follow Jesus. Look at Mark 1:17. Jesus says, come and follow me. You remember the rest of it? Come follow me. I'll make you disciples. I'll make you fishers of men. I'll show you what to do. And some of us go, I'm not following anybody until I get an orientation class. I need an orientation class. And Jesus says, come on, come follow me. Some, some people say, I, I got it, Jesus. I'm gonna get ahead of you. I'll show you all the great things I can do. And he says, get, get, get behind me. Come follow me. Listen to me. Watch me. And I'll teach you and I'll make you a fisher of men. I'll help you to help other people find and follow after me, which is what discipleship is. And this is what wisdom is, this combination of of knowledge and practice. Here's another way to think about it. The difference between just knowledge or information and godly sacred wisdom that James is writing about here. Knowledge is knowing a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is knowing not to put it in a fruit salad. I would never do that, but it is a fruit. But I've learned that it doesn't taste good in a fruit salad, right? That, um, you know, pineapples and tomatoes don't go together, right? I wouldn't put it in there. That's what wisdom is. And so Proverbs is reminding its readers, just like James, of what they already know to be true. Look at verse 3, if you got your scriptures open, James 1. He says, you, you know, count it all joy, my brothers, when you experience trials of various kinds, for you know. In other words, I'm reminding you of what you already know. You've already got the knowledge. I'm reminding you to put it into practice. You know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. You already know this. And C.S. Lewis said, the job of a teacher is to remind us of what we do don't want to remember. The job of a teacher is to remind us what we don't want to remember. And again, oftentimes when we're in trouble, you don't need to raise your hand. How many of you feel like you're in trouble? Disappointed, frustrated, uh, grieving because of loss, confused because of multiple decision points in your life right now. The Bible reminds us that God hasn't given us a spirit of fear or confusion. God wants to give us wisdom about decisions that we need to make, about how to get through what we're going through, about how to go forward. But James is reminding us here, right, that we've got to be able to take our knowledge and understanding of God and remember what we've learned and then put it into practice. For many of us, everyone watch this. For many of us, we don't have a knowledge problem. Some of us are learning to understand, and we have to always be on a journey to know and understand more about God. There's always more to know about God. But for many of us, we don't have a knowledge problem. We have an obedience problem. It's putting into practice what we already know. And again, James, like a good teacher here, is reminding his audience, his little flock that's scattered around and facing all kinds of difficulties and troubles. I'm going to remind you about what you don't want to remember. That the testing of your faith, the trouble that you're experiencing is really good for you because it's the admission price for wisdom as your faith is tested and it grows in endurance. Listen to what Solomon said. Let's go back and forth here between James 1 and Proverbs 1 because again, they mirror each other. Solomon wrote, the fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge. Interesting. But fools despise wisdom and discipline. 
Both James and Solomon are talking about foolishness and how foolishness really is birthed out of a lack of desire to know who God is and to be a wise person. And so fools despise discipline. They despise correction. They despise teaching. They despise understanding and wisdom because they want to live how they want to live. So James and Solomon and mirroring one another, they both say, you know, wisdom is out here. God wants to give you wisdom. In fact, Solomon says uh, in Proverbs chapter one, go read it for yourself, that wisdom is on the street corners. It's at the city gate. She's crying out. She wants people to listen, but people are so busy, including us, going on about their lives and doing what they want to do that they don't stop and listen. They don't sit at the intersection of knowledge and practice, putting that all together. So let's come back to our passage, James 1, 5. James says, if you need wisdom, how many of you need wisdom? I'm going to put both hands up and one foot. How many of you need wisdom? Ask our generous God and he'll give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. So this is really important because the way James starts this wisdom journey in the context of trouble, because trouble opens us and postures us to receive wisdom from above and not from ourselves or other people. But once we're in that posture, he says, you got to ask. And if you ask God for it, he's not going to rebuke you for it. He wants to give. So interestingly, the way that James starts his teaching about wisdom is theology. What is theology? Theology is the knowledge of God, right? It used to be theology was the queen of the sciences in academia. It It was the capstone of the science department. The knowledge, science means knowledge, the understanding of who God is. And that's the most important thing we can know and understand because when we know who God is, we know who we are. And when we know who we are uh, in our gospel identity, we know who other people are. We know how to treat them and love them. And so James reminds us here that uh, God is generous. That's who he is. He's teaching good theology here. Remember, God is generous. That's his character. And by the way, James references the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' most famous sermon that's collected in Matthew 5 through 7. His, remember, uh, James's big brother was Jesus. And so he's uh, referencing his big brother's sermon. And he references it 105 times in his little book here, his letter, the themes. And one of those themes is generosity. Jesus says, um, if you ask your father for bread, he's not going to give you a snake. And he says, you know, your father in heaven loves to give you good gifts. He, he lavishes upon his children, his sons and daughters, the good gifts of heaven. But you got to ask for it. You got to remember that your God is generous, that he has a storehouse, right? Picture this, a storehouse full of wisdom to give you. It reminds me of a story of an angel and a man who got to heaven and the angel was giving him a, a, a tour of heaven. And they're looking all around and seeing all these amazing things. And they get to this big room that's full of all these wonderful gifts. All of these things, including wisdom. I mean, it's just full, shelves full. And the man says to the angel, what what is that room? What is that? And the angel says, oh, that's all the wonderful things that God wants to give to his people, but they never asked. James says, you got to ask because you have a father in heaven that longs to give his children good gifts because that's who he is. 
He is a giver for God so loved the world that he, he, took, he took from us. No, God so loved the world that he gave. And that's what love does. Love always moves us to a position, a posture to open our hands, to give properly and receive properly. But we have to ask, James says, remember my big brother is generous and he wants to give you wisdom. And then there's this conjunction if you're, if you're following the passage here. But when you ask, okay, let's look at verses six through eight and finish here. Trouble is the admission price for wisdom. You should ask God for wisdom because he's generous and he wants to give it. Wisdom is the intersection of, of knowledge and practice. It is the basis of Christian living. But when you ask, look at verse six and seven with me. When you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such a person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. James says, when you ask, you gotta ask in faith. Well, what is faith? Faith, the closest definition we have in the English language to the biblical understanding of faith, what James is talking about here, is the word trust. When you come to your father in heaven, you say, Abba, daddy, I need your help. And by the way, what's the one word prayer that God longs to hear more than anything else from his kids? Help. I need your help. You're God and I'm not. I need your wisdom. I'm not smart enough. I, don't, I, I, I can't work hard enough. I'm not disciplined enough to get my way out of this. I don't know how I'm gonna get through what I'm going through. I need your help. And James says, God longs to hear that prayer. Help me, God. But when you pray that prayer, you gotta pray and trust. You gotta trust the Lord. We've got um, two drivers in our house right now, almost drivers, 16 and 17. So pray for us. And when you think about faith, we have a... Um, a little turn, we live off Saurus Road, and, and, and the left-hand turn, um, it's, a, it's a lot. It's a big one, and you got to go quick. And, and the thing I've said to our kids when we get to that little intersection there, and this is such a, to me, a metaphor of life. When you get to that intersection, you, you got to make a decision, and particularly if you're turning left and you're going a tough way, you got to be committed. You, you, you can't hit the gas and then hit the brake and stop in the middle of the road. You got to go, or you got to stay but you gotta be all in. You gotta be committed. And James is saying here, look, if you're gonna hit the gas and you're gonna come and ask God for wisdom, you gotta be postured to receive it. You gotta be committed and trusting him that you've decided to follow Jesus no matter what, that you're, that you're all in. Uh, he says, if not, look at verse seven, you're, you're, you've got this what? Divided loyalty. It's like going to Vegas and, and betting on both teams. You're going to lose. You might win some, but you're going to lose some. It, it, it's double-minded. Let, let's, let's go back to our train station series, if you were here for that. right? That, that, uh, Paul says we, we have the mind of Christ. But if we're double-minded, we have the mind of the world and the mind of Christ. And it's two conductors in one train engine, and they're battling over the controls. 
and you're back and forth and you're all over the place. And this is the picture that James is creating. That when you come to God and you're hedging your bets and you say, I'll put 30% on Jesus, I'm gonna put 30% on myself and put 30% on my job and 10% on other people. I'm gonna hedge my bets here. James says, no, you, you shouldn't expect to receive anything from the Lord, including wisdom. You gotta come to the Lord and tr- again, trouble has a way of posturing us this way. I've tried everything, God. Oftentimes we don't pray for help until we've tried it all. And we come to the place in our lives where we go, God, if you don't come through, I'm through. If you don't come through, God, I'm through. And God longs to hear that kind of prayer. You've tried it all. You've tried to clever your way through it. You've tried to power through it. It hasn't worked. So you come, you say, God, help me. You got to do it. You can do it. I can't do it. And I trust you and I receive you. I'm committed. I'm not hedging my bets. I'm not, I don't have a portfolio of faith. Remember that? Where we, we, we learn from a long, uh, you know, for a long time in our lives financially. You got you to hedge your bets. You got you to risk management. You got you to diversify your portfolio. But when it comes to faith, that doesn't work. God says, I want 100%. Don't be hot or cold. I mean, don't be lukewarm, be hot or cold. You're turning left, you're either hitting the gas or you're staying there. You can't do both. You can't mash down on the brake and the gas at the same time. Don't try that. That's the double-minded person. They're divided loyalties and and they become unstable in all their ways. Look at verse eight, we'll finish here. He says their loyalty, he's talking about the double-minded person, the person that, that is hedging their bets, that isn't fully trusting God. Their loyalty is divided between God and what? The world. Now pay attention to this last part of the sentence. And they're unstable in, if you have a marker, underline this word, highlight on your phone, everything they do. What does all mean? All means all. That's all all means. Everything is everything. Some people think, well, no, I have my spiritual life. I have my work life. I have my relationship life. I have my recreation life. Nope. You have a life with God. Everything is spiritual. And when I'm unstable and divided in my loyalties and my heart before God, I'm unstable in everything I do. It turns out that if I ask God for wisdom and how I ask God for wisdom, namely in faith or trust, reflects the state of my soul. If I don't ask God for wisdom, if, I've, if you've never asked God for wisdom, that's the call from the scriptures today. God wants to hear that prayer from you. If I never ask God for help, if I never ask God for wisdom, that reflects something about what I believe about God and myself, doesn't it? If I ask God for wisdom or for something that I need, but I say, God, if you'll do this for me, I'll do this for you. This quid pro quo with God, right? And we forget that we can never outgive God. He has a storehouse of gifts and wisdom, a room full of things he wants to give to us. And if I think I have to pay him back, what does that say about my soul? James says, when you're unstable in everything you do, it's like, you know, when you hang a picture or a mirror and you've got one of those levelers or you can get on your phone now and you got to get the bubble in the middle. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay. Um, it's, he says, when you're divided in your loyalties between God and the world, when you're double-minded, you've got two conductors in your train engine, it's like the leveler in your heart, the bubble never gets in the center. 
So every relationship that you have, every decision that you have to make, you, 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 you feel like you're swaying back and forth. I, I just don't have a firm foundation that I can stand on. But, but here's the counter to that. It's such a wonderful teaching. That when I'm trusting the Lord in my trouble and I'm receiving his generous wisdom that he wants to give, all heck can be breaking loose around me. Everything can be unstable around me and I'm standing firm. I'm grounded in truth. And here's the deal, guys. As your pastor, I just, I wanna say this to you. In this world that is not going to get lighter, in this world that's gonna get more and more dark, more, the Bible tells us that. The history's not circular, it's linear. There's a start, there's a finish. In this world, it's gonna get more and more confused. When we come to God and pray this way, when we approach God, our generous God, to give us wisdom, we can be stable, secure, and stand on a firm foundation when everything else is falling apart. And that is the promise of God to his children, to those of us who follow him, that he longs to give us wisdom in the context of our trouble. So when you need wisdom, when you need wisdom, ask in faith. When you need wisdom, ask in faith. To Christ be the glory. Let's pray together. Hear the passage one more time. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. Ask him now. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver. For a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. God, would you give us the wisdom, wisdom from above, for what you've spoken to us today through your word? And would you give us the faith to go and put it into practice for your glory alone, Jesus? Amen.